Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. I'm your host, Aubrey Whitty. Today, we are featuring the fifth of eight podcasts produced in partnership with SAP Success Factors. Each one features an expert in the field of HR and will explore some of the most pressing issues facing talent management today. So we're thrilled to welcome our guest today, Lauren Bidwell, who is a decision-making psychologist and a research scientist in human capital management at SAP Success Factors. She studies the factors and cognitive biases that influence our ability to make effective decisions and conducts research on human capital management topics that include team performance, group-based decision-making, compensation practices, collaborative learning, and others. Lauren recently completed a research study on next-generation compensation, so I'm particularly excited today to pick her brain on that topic. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me to be here. I'm excited to share um, some of the really cool research that we've been doing in this area. So we appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So compensation, I want to just dig into the topic here because it is a... It can be a little bit of a tenuous topic to discuss and talk about, but I know that you guys just did a major research study on it and you just wrapped that up. So give me kind of a a high level. Who did you speak with about compensation? What about it? And what did you find that you thought was most interesting and valuable? Initially, kind of our idea for this research project really stemmed from recognizing that a lot of things that are going on today really are kind of changing the nature of compensation. So, for example, you know, we've got technology now that allows companies to do things that just really weren't possible before. Um, So, for example, using more ongoing, dynamic, immediate forms of rewarding employees. Um, We're seeing kind of the secondary impacts from what was kind of phrased this performance management revolution um, affecting compensation. So, we're seeing companies kind of decoupling performance management from comp, which is creating some really cool opportunities for compensation professionals. Um, And then we have things like today, there's this unprecedented access that employees and other people have to pay and salary information. So think sites like, you know, Indeed and Glassdoor um, that are really influencing employees' expectations around transparency and pay. So we're kind of seeing all of these things happening. And what we really wanted to know was, well, how are companies today ensuring that they're effectively rewarding their people? You know, and are these things actually working? So what we did was we conducted kind of a three-phase research study. Um, We conducted in-depth interviews, really, first with compensation professionals from SAP SuccessFactor customer organizations, um, as well as with, you know, dozens and dozens of managers and frontline employees. Um, And now these were from various organizations and industries. We conducted these interviews um, in collaboration with an MBA student group from Baylor University. Um, So we've got those qualitative interviews And then we added more of a quantitative approach. We conducted a micro survey um, with HR business and IT leaders, again, from our customer organizations. So what this approach really allowed us to do was we were very intentionally broad, but we also went really deep. So we were talking to people in all of these different roles, which really allowed us to get this full picture of comp today. You know, what's working well? What can we do better? And where do these gaps remain? Um, so I think maybe that last point was our biggest takeaway, which is that gaps do still certainly exist when it comes to compensation. Um, there's really kind of a gap and a disconnect, as we phrased it, between what the comp professionals assume is happening 
um, you know, what sorts of processes managers should theoretically be using, the conversations they should theoretically be having um, versus what managers are actually doing versus the employee experience, which we found is often one of confusion and frustration. So there are those gaps that still remain. That's a great point because I think that some people think, you know, oh, we have access to so much more information today. So that should mean or that implies that there's clarity when oftentimes it's kind of the opposite, right? You you get exposed mm-hmm. to so much information that it's kind of overwhelming and you're not really sure where to go or what the direction is that you should take. Um, so that, that's a great point. And just speaking with the breadth of people and organizations, um, you feel like you really got a holistic picture of what's happening in the compensation field. Exactly. It was very kind of a unique approach. So I think it led to some really cool and interesting outcomes. Yeah. So um, this is a bias question, but what do you think was the most surprising thing that you found um, in your research or maybe the biggest gap? What's something that's just a big miss that organizations need to you know, be a little bit more cognizant of? Yeah. Well, I think it's actually two things. Um, The first is that, and this was kind of our take-home message, most companies can say with relative ease how their money is being spent today. You know, they can keep track of it. And this used to actually be a major challenge in the past, but because of technology today, it's kind of been resolved. But what's a lot more difficult for companies is to say whether the money that's being spent is actually being spent wisely. So in other terms, are the compensation decisions that they're making generating a return on investment when it comes to employee retention, engagement, productivity? There's still a question mark around this, which is, you know, surprising. Uh, The second thing that I would say, um, and this is supported by other research as well, um, is that, you know, many companies realize and recognize that there are problems within their compensation processes. So part of our survey, only a quarter, you know, 25% of our respondents said that they believe their employees in their organization understand how the compensation decisions are made. And then less than that, it was less than, I think, 10% agreed that their compensation training for managers was effective. So it's not as though companies are totally out of, you know, awareness that these problems exist, but the recognition doesn't really seem to be translating into action all the time. Um, And I think that that's due, at least in large part, I would say, by this stigma about compensation. It's still something that's taboo to talk about. Um, But then we have more transparency, um, more visibility into this information, which is kind of creating this odd conundrum. Um, So I think moving forward, we're going to see companies increasingly recognize that, you know, they can't just assume that the right decisions are being made without following up and ensuring that the right decisions are made. Um, And they also can't assume, you know, oh, if employees aren't asking the questions or if they're not complaining about the answers, that everything must be okay. Um, You know, that we just can't have that anymore. There really has to be these diligent steps in ensuring that these things are really happening. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> that's a key finding. And to me, I think about the domino effect, right? If only 25% of your employees understand how compensation decisions are made, um, what about that 75% that you know doesn't understand or there isn't clarity, right? When people don't have the information that they need, they're likely to draw their own conclusions about what is happening or create a narrative about you know what the process is. And it could be wildly wrong. Exactly. But the organization really needs to kind of rectify and clarify that communication. 
Exactly. Yeah. So speaking of communication, one of the biggest changes that we've seen in the last few years especially um, is around sites like Glassdoor and Indeed. So how have the compensation processes in place at companies, how have they been impacted by the fact that so many employees can now access information through sites like Glassdoor and Indeed, which they then can presumably use that as evidence to say, hey, this person says that this is their salary. Why is mine so different, et cetera? Yeah. Well, I think there's kind of two different approaches that we see being taken. On one side, there are still many companies today that are basically playing the defense when it comes to transparency. They just kind of assume or like to assume that if no one's complaining, um, then the good, accurate, fair decisions must be being made. Um, You know, if employees aren't asking the questions, they must have the answers. That's kind of their um, line of thought. When in reality, our research would suggest, because we had these really in-depth conversations with employees, if employees aren't asking you the questions, it's more likely because they feel as though they can't do so, um, and then they're going to find the answers elsewhere. Um, and that can obviously be problematic. Um, so on the other side, the more positive side, is that there are also companies who are really beginning to embrace pay transparency um, and leveraging it as an opportunity to build trust with their employees. Um, and maybe even more importantly, like seeing it as an opportunity to own the compensation message to ensure that the right information is being communicated. Um, Because obviously that's one of the major risks associated with letting your employees, um, you know, kind of dictate what's going on from sites like Glassdoor and Indeed is that they may or may not be accurate. Um, But again, you know, being more transparent, is definitely easier said than done. Um, there's a lot of anxiety that still remains um, around what's going to happen by, you know, quote unquote, lifting the veil on compensation. Companies aren't entirely comfortable with it yet, but I think a lot of them are beginning to recognize, hey, transparency is here to stay. Let's be ahead of it instead of trying to play catch up. Yeah, and I, I think that there's, you know, there's the company-wide um, hesitation, right, to be transparent from a broader sense. But I think there's also an individual um, hesitation that even as an individual person, it can be awkward to talk about your salary because for so long it was considered so taboo to even kind of bring that up. Um, and also there's questions about, well, how do I bring it <laughs> What kind of conversation do I really have about this and how do I have it in a really constructive way? So, you know, that kind of leads me to the question, though, is all of the awkwardness worth it? What's the benefit if I'm an organization that we are really transparent with our pay? Does it really yield a lot of positive returns or is it just sort of like, oh, well, this is just slightly different? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is probably one of the biggest myths, misconceptions about pay. So there is lots of psychological research that would suggest that being more transparent, increasing your transparency actually leads to improvements in employee motivation, satisfaction, and even perceptions of fairness overall. Um, There was a recent survey we've quoted before conducted by Payscale that found that um, increasing transparency, increasing the fairness of the compensation processes was significantly more effective at reducing turnover intentions than was paying employees more relative to the market value. 
So it's all about the transparency related to the process. It's not often the value that's really the critical point here. Um, but again, the huge factor, I think, in the success of a conversation about pay is how that information is communicated and delivered. Um, so you can't just expect rambling off some numbers and using that as evidence um, of fair pay, um, trying to downplay employee concerns and expecting that to work. You know, there's really things that managers can and should be doing when they're talking about pay to ensure that employees feel informed rather than, you know, kind of anxious about their compensation package. Um, and kind of one of our always take home messages, best practices would be the best way to ensure that these conversations happen the right way is to train your managers. And I think actually you brought up a really good point. It's also uncomfortable for employees. So, you know, giving employees a little bit better insight of what's an appropriate thing to ask, you know, what's a reasonable request to make of your manager when it comes to talking about pay, um, you know, having these conversations in a sort of training upfront can kind of resolve a lot of that anxiety. Yeah, that, that's a great point. So the manager training seems to be kind of a, a big miss for some organizations just because it's a gap that's not really being addressed. You know, one of the things that we've heard a lot, especially over the past year with the whole hashtag MeToo movement, is there's a whole lot more focus being placed on instances of pay inequity, um, gender inequity, but also role inequity. And what do you think, do you think that that's something that companies are kind of taking as an avenue to build training around um, to make sure that they're making fair and equitable decisions around pay? Well, I think companies by and large have made major, major strides in this area, um, particularly when it comes to the gender gap and ensuring equitable salaries for men and women, um, where I think there's still a gap and some room for improvement based on our research is ensuring that that same level of rigor and the checks and balances are in place for things apart from, um, you know, base pay and salary decisions. So for example, spot awards, um, another kind of interesting, surprising thing we learned from our research was that, you know, many companies that are increasingly using spot awards are quite popular now. Um, but in many cases, the spot awards, the value, who they were distributed to, when and why was often kind of totally within manager discretion, um, you know, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but often there was really little or even no review coming from HR or some other part of the organization. So because these spot awards were relatively small in size, um, comparatively, you know, they were kind of often deemed unnecessary to be reviewing these awards for issues of equity. Um, and now this isn't to say that, you know, automatically managers are making biased decisions, but we have to remember that pay is pay regardless of its amount, even if it's $50. Um, inequitable decisions, if they're made often enough, are inevitably going to frustrate your employees. So our research really did kind of support the need to have better checks in place to ensure managers were making you know, reward decisions that are based on clearly defined criteria and that they be required to explain and justify these decisions to someone afterwards. Um, and again, moving beyond just that base pay salary into the even smaller rewards. 
Yeah, I love that point about some of the the smaller rewards because frequently, you know, you have to remember that a salary is not just the the base pay. It is the combination of the base pay and what your PTO is and what your bonus structure might be like. So, you know, as an individual, you think about those things. So as a manager, you should also kind of have that um, wider view, right? That wide angle um, lens on what it is um, spot awards are. Yeah. So let me um, shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the employees and the individuals you talked with, because you talked with a lot of different individuals about their own perceptions and the beliefs that they have related to compensation and also related to their organization's compensation processes. So kind of in a nutshell, um, what did they have to say that really struck you? And what do you think is the biggest disconnect between what people are thinking and feeling about compensation and what the organizations are thinking and feeling about it? The employee interviews were really interesting. And I think there are a couple noteworthy things. Um, you know, probably one of the most concerning um, things that we heard was really how little employees truly understand about their organization's compensation practices and processes. So many of the employees that we spoke with admitted, they said, you know, I don't know how compensation decisions are made in my organization. I don't know who is responsible for these decisions. I don't know what criteria is used to guide these decisions. And I don't really understand what I could do to influence the outcome of these decisions in the future. Um, And naturally, you can imagine this led to a lot of frustration. Um, You know, for example, employees would say, I think we have a bonus system in place, but I don't know what I would need to do to get a bonus. Um, And, you know, it gets back to this communication gap. So employees said, even in a positive scenario, my manager doesn't really explain these things to me. Sometimes a bonus will just show up in my paycheck. So even when it's a positive outcome um, and a manager might think, oh, you know, this isn't really critical to explain it's a positive thing. They're not really going to ask questions or be concerned about it. To an employee, it's frustrating to not know what it was, what specific behaviors were deemed by you to be really worthy of a reward. Because what I want to do as an employee is make sure that I'm repeating those behaviors in the future or vice versa, avoiding the behaviors that aren't deemed worthy, right? Um, So there's really kind of a disconnect in terms of employees understanding how those specific behaviors and performance translate into pay decisions. Um, The other thing I think was how critical feeling appreciated is to employees. And this, of course, translates into compensation in many ways, but oftentimes the solution isn't always about money. It's about feeling appreciated. Um, you know, Many of the employees that we spoke with said, yes, of course, money is important to me. It has its role. But what's really critical for me, the reason I stay at my organization, is because I feel needed and appreciated by my manager, et cetera. Um, You know, monetary rewards are only one way to reflect that. But non-monetary rewards, whether it's something as small as, you know, companies, they have points programs or maybe, you know, a catered lunch. That's enough for many employees a lot of the time. It's not just those monetary things. And even more than that, the verbal recognition, the public recognition um, of an employee's contributions is absolutely an invaluable piece of the puzzle. Excellent. So it's it's not all about money, right? Money is sort of a the baseline. I, I think David Rock has something about that, right? It's table stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Pink, that's yeah, what it is. Daniel Pink, it's money is table stakes, but there's a whole lot more that organizations can do and leaders can think about doing to really maximize um, the effort 
of their employees and also just the loyalty of employees, right? To know that your contributions are not just well-regarded, but are appreciated and you are given that um, credit is great. Yeah. Psychologically, it's absolutely critical. Yeah. So one thing that has happened, though, in the past few years is there's been this shift away from um, using ratings or rankings around evaluating an employee's performance. Um, But when that happens, how then does an organization or should an organization go about paying people if it's not really tied to a rating? Um, Can you talk me through like what the next evolution of that process looks like thinking about your research on compensation? Yeah, so this is definitely a major trend. (laughs) Probably one of the most common questions we get. How do I pay people and know I'm making the right pay decisions if I don't have ratings to tie the decisions to? Um, And I think the most important thing to note on this topic, because we could really get into this, this could be an entire other conversation in and of itself, Um, but really at a high level, the most critical thing to remember is that most companies, when they say they're moving away from ratings, typically aren't eliminating ratings entirely. Um, And our team of researchers would probably argue that you really can't ever eliminate ratings entirely. Um, You know, you can eliminate the tangible rating, but you know, so long as leaders want to know who those top performers are and to reward those people appropriately, you're going to quote unquote rate people. You're going to place them into different buckets based on their contributions. Um, So what we're really seeing today is that companies are just rating in very different ways. Um, So making greater use of talent calibration reviews is a big one. Um, So groups of organizational stakeholders come together to talk as a group collectively about which employees are contributing most to the organization. Um, And doing it in a group setting solves a lot of the problems, the biases that are associated with individual manager evaluations. Um, And again, it's broadening that perspective. An individual manager can only know what their individual direct reports are doing. It's really difficult to have the perspective of, well, how does, you know, so-and-so's contributions compare against so-and-so's contributions on this other manager's teams. So that's a really valuable way. Um, Companies oftentimes are now rating based on goal completion um, or evaluating employees based on their perceived future value. So this is kind of a shift. Rather than evaluating what employees have done in the past, focusing instead on what do we think this employee is going to contribute in the future. And let's use that conversation as a way to guide investment decisions. Um, So I think we'll see a lot more of that. Eliminating ratings was kind of a buzzword. It was kind of this buzz trend. Not that companies weren't moving away from ratings, but I think it's the conversation is going to turn into, okay, we've got a way of classifying which employees are contributing the most. Let's ensure that we're doing this in a way that makes sense and is actually really, truly fair and accurate. Well said. So I, the, the last question I have for you, um, I want to get into the decision-making aspect of compensation because especially as managers are given a little bit more autonomy to inform some of these decisions and in some cases just flat out make these decisions, they are still difficult 
questions, right? Who on my team gets what pay based on a, a set amount of budget that I have to distribute? So in your role as a decision-making scientist, which aside is one of the coolest job titles ever, (laughs) what is some wisdom that you can offer to make these types of decisions around compensation a little bit easier and, you know, give managers um, a tool or a tip that they can sleep a little bit better at night having made those decisions? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, You know, a lot of what I study as a decision-making psychologist does come back to cognitive biases. So oftentimes problems in decision-making stem from the fact that as humans, we tend to make emotional decisions rather than rational, logical decisions. Now, companies have come a long way in recent years in terms of, you know, closing the gender gap, ensuring equitable decisions, talking about um, bias from that perspective. But I think the same level of rigor, again, the same level of effort and concentration needs to kind of be put towards now ensuring that effective compensation decisions in general are being made. Now, this includes being fair and equitable. But again, getting back to that, is this actually generating a return on my investment? Um, And I think the best way that you can do that is making sure that managers have really clear, well-defined criteria to guide these decisions. So not just being out there kind of in space, pulling from air, making these decisions. Um, And then again, ensuring that managers are required to explain and justify these decisions. Um, You know, this is really one of the best ways to ensure that equitable decisions are being made, and even more than that, that bias is being recognized. And this is where something like a calibration group is really critical. It acts as a check and balance against human error, um, human bias, things like that. Um, So again, using kind of that power of a group to have really meaningful conversations about who's contributing the most. So getting to that, really having clear, well-defined criteria and being required to explain and justify are two really good ways to avoid bias. Um, The other piece of this is once you have good decisions being made, things certainly get easier. But we still need to ensure that managers know how to then communicate these decisions um, and communicate them in a way that employees are going to perceive them as being fair, being appropriate, being kind of respectable. Um, Because I think if there's one thing we do know as psychologists, it's that the way you deliver information, the way you deliver a message is going to have an enormous influence on how someone perceives, reacts to that information. Um, So, you know, the same message communicated to very different ways can have vastly different outcomes. Um, So, yes, ensuring the right decisions are being made is the first part, but then ensuring that employees really understand and agree that these decisions are effective is really critical. Great. Well said, right? Communication matters. (laughs) It's very important. Communication matters. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is all that we have time for today, Lauren, but I so appreciate you coming um, on our podcast and also for just such a great conversation on a topic I think that is just very important to a lot of people. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I hope everyone found this interesting. Um, All of the resources, anything that we create that was based on this research um, can be found at the uh, HCM Research Team's Research Center, which you could just find by Googling. Um, But lots of other good assets there as well. So if you're interested in learning more, you can definitely find our resources there. Yes, thank you. And um, just as a reminder as well, the white paper that I referenced in the beginning of this is called Managing the Next Generation of 
compensation strategies for lessons learned from research um, that Lauren worked on and led. So thank you. So listeners, be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find HCI on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on the YouTube channel, HCI Talent. If you are listening on iTunes, we would love to get your rating and your review. It helps other professionals and like-minded people discover the program. We'd like to close by saying thank you to all of our listeners for spending some time with us today. From all of us at HCI, thanks so much for listening.